Well, at this point, we have the privilege of hearing our God speak to us in His Word. Um, if you have your Bibles with you, we are going to be in John chapter 1. And in John chapter 1, we are going to be um, doing a little bit, a couple weeks here. But I want you to know we've kind of, we've been done with our discipleship series. And so now what we're doing is we are looking into a series I'm calling, um, well, actually, I, I changed the name of it, so I have to actually look it up, because it was looking at it at the beginning of the week, and I'm like, oh, I don't like that name, so I changed it. Um, I'm calling this series, Who Am I? Um, and it is about our identity. We spent a lot of time looking into discipleship, and that was some pretty heavy-hitting stuff over and over again. And so I wanted to root us, and I wanted us to ground us in the reality of whose we are. And that's what we're going to be getting at. So this mini-series mini is going to take us right up into the Advent season, which then will begin the book of Luke. Um, and I will be preaching through the entire book of Luke. And so what we're looking at is how the recognition and how the appropriation of our adoption in Christ Jesus allows us to live in joy as better followers of Jesus. And I don't know if you caught it all throughout the service, but if you notice, the theme throughout the service was Jesus. You notice in the songs, you notice in the confession, it was all about Jesus. Because today's sermon I'm calling Jesus the One and Only. Jesus, the one and only. And so this week, we're going to cover Jesus, the one and only. Next week, Jesus, the perfect son. Then Jesus, the child maker. And then the last sermon we'll end on is called Perfectly and Infinitely Loved in Jesus. And so as we look at this today, I really want us to dig down into something, to someone who is so amazing that this sermon should not be for you today information, but worship. I want you today to worship, to take your heart and fall down before the almighty King Jesus and just delight in him. So if you're taking this as information, you're using it wrong. It is information, but it's worship. I want to give you a little context for the book of John. It's kind of quite simple. Basically, the context for this book is the grand scheme of redemption. So how do I summarize the grand scheme of redemption not in four hours? It's simple. God made the world, and he made it perfect. Humanity, well, decided that they wanted to do things their way and rebel against God. And it ruined creation... And it ruined relationships with God, relationships with others, and relationships with the, their relation with the world. It brought the entire world under God's judgment. And humanity couldn't get back to God, cannot get back to God on their own terms, no matter how hard they tried, unless a hero came. Humanity needed a hero. And you guessed it, Jesus is that hero. Jesus is the one and only that God the Father sent to be that hero. So I'm going to read 
verses 1 through 5 and then 14 to 18. Don't worry, I'll cover the other verses later uh, in another sermon. So this is John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5, and then 14 to 18. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. For from him, for from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. The grass withers, the flowers, they fade, but the word of our God is forever. And all God's people said, amen. Let me pray. Oh Lord, as I am here as your servant to open your word, this is hallowed sacred ground because it is the talking about the nature and the person and the work of the King of Kings, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so I ask now, Father, through Jesus Christ, in the power of the Spirit, that you would enable me to take your word and to open it so that your people might worship you and see the wonder that is found in Christ Jesus. Oh, Lord, let me be pushed to the side and let Jesus Christ be increased. And I ask this in his name. Amen. So our first point today is this, that Jesus is the unique one who is the eternal God, the maker, the sustainer, and the revealer. Yes, that is one point. It's a lot, I know. But it's in verses 1 through 2. Let's look at verses 1 through 2. In the beginning was the Word, it says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. In these two verses, we see Jesus Christ's relationship to time and to God. So you notice it begins in the beginning. Do you know that this is the way that the Bible begins? The Hebrew language is trans, was translated into Greek, and it started out with two words. And those two words, John repeats exactly the same in the opening of his book. But then if you notice in Genesis, it goes on in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. But what does John do here? John begins, yes, with the creation, but actually he begins a little before that. Did you catch that trick there? It says, and the word was with God and the word was God. He was in the beginning with God. John rolls back time before time was created and says, there was God. And oh, by the way, Jesus was with him, and Jesus is God. And so, the Bible says here, through the Apostle John, that God always was. 
that Jesus Christ, God, always was. John uses the verb, this verb was, to express the idea that Jesus existed before the beginning of anything. Jesus Christ, the Word, has always been and always will be. Jesus Christ is above and outside of time. Jesus Christ is eternal. And so that's the first thing we see there. Jesus Christ is eternal. But we, however, are time-bound creatures. We make our decisions. We order our lives. And in some ways, we are controlled by time. But God is not bound by time. God is the uncreated one. God is the one who was and is and will be. So the word, Jesus, who was in the beginning, is truly eternal, truly self-existent, and truly outside of time. Have you ever thought or grasped that concept of Jesus Christ being outside of time? Time is created. Jesus Christ is. In the Old Testament, in Exodus, he says, when he's revealing his name to Moses, he says, I am. He uses a verb, a verb to to, to give his name. He just is existence. Just existence, raw, pure, uncreated existence. That is mind-blowing. He is not bound by time. He is truly eternal, truly self-existent, truly outside of time. And this makes Jesus Christ truly and utterly unique. There is no one who can say that they are outside of time but God himself. And Jesus, the second person of the Trinity, is God outside. Of time. John says that the word, though, Jesus Christ was with God, and that speaks of the eternality of the word, that Christ forever existed and never did not exist. And so Jesus Christ was eternally with God, and there was never a time that he was not with God. But John doesn't stop there. He then goes on and he says that the word Jesus is God. So just in case you are confused, with he was with God from the beginning. He goes and says, oh, by the way, he's God. Jesus Christ is the eternal God, the second person of the Trinity. And so just to be sure that we get it then, he reiterates in verse 2 that the two ideas of the word being eternal and the word being God are referring to the same being, the word Jesus Christ, right? He was in the beginning with God, the word. And so what we, end, we see here is he tells us that Jesus, the word, was with God in the beginning. There is no mistaking it. Jesus Christ is the eternal God. He is the eternal God. Next, in verses 3 to 5, it says this, All things were made through him, and without him was not anything made that was made. In him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. And so what we see here is we see that Christ's relationship to the universe is the one in which he is the creator, the sustainer, and the revealer. So let's look first at Christ the creator. 
So if it weren't enough to explicitly spell out that the word Jesus is eternal, that he's outside of time, that he's also God, here we see that all things were made through him. Jesus is outside, clearly, of the created realm. If everything is made through Jesus, then that means that nothing in the created realm, that he isn't part of that created realm. In other words, he transcends it. And so, what we see here is that Jesus, he is the only God who could create all things. The Lord Jesus Christ is said to have been the creative power of all that is. Do you know that the one who created all things is ascribed to be Jesus? The Father created the world through his Son, Jesus Christ. That is what the Bible teaches us. That Jesus is the agent of creation. The huge significance of this is that the agent of creation is the one who died for you so that you might have life. And that's where John goes with it. So if it goes on to say here that nothing was made unless Jesus made it. I mean, have you, have you read that thing, that, that passage there? All things were made through him and without him was not anything made that was made. I mean, he comes here and he's really being clear. So by the way, he made everything, but just in case you didn't know, nothing exists that wasn't made by him. I mean, he is just laying it thick here. You realize this, right? God, Jesus Christ is eternal. Jesus Christ is God. Jesus Christ is creator. But then he goes on to say that Jesus Christ is the sustainer. John tells us that Jesus Christ is the life of man. The life of man. Jesus sustains humanity. He holds our life in his hand. Jesus is life. And no life exists apart from Jesus. We are dependent upon the one who is the eternal God, who is the creator, and who is the sustainer. What boggles my mind is how the sustainer of all life that it talks about in Colossians 1, who holds all things together, was on the cross and gave up his life while he was holding this entire universe together. That only God could do. The God-man, Jesus Christ. But... What we see next is that Christ is the revealer. Jesus is not only the life of men, but it says he also illuminates men. He is the light giver. Have you all, how many of you here have act, gone on a cave, tour of a cave? Most people? Okay. In that cave tour, when you were at the bottom, did they shut, shut off the lights? They do mostly, right? And when that moment happened and they shut out the lights, did they ask you to touch your nose? If they did, how many of you poked yourself in the eye or the mouth or some mist altogether? Have you ever felt that darkness that is so palpable, so real, so deep, so thick that you could almost taste it? No light? Jesus Christ is the light of man. 
Light is emptiness. Light, or the, the absence of light is emptiness. It is darkness. It is helplessness. When you were in that cave and they shut out the light, did you have the thought like I did? What happens if that light doesn't turn back on? I thought that. And I was terrified by the thought of being in that thick darkness, having to climb up steps, crawl up steps to be able to get out. That is the way that this world is without Jesus Christ. People are groping in the dark, looking for hope, looking for joy, looking for something, and they don't have it. They can't find it because they are helpless. And that light is needed to function, it's needed to move, and it is even needed to continue living. Without light, you can know nothing. Without light, you can do nothing. But when the light is turned back on, the world is revealed once more. You can see, you can know, and you can do. And brothers and sisters, Jesus is the light of the world. Jesus is the light of the world. In Genesis, when you see creation, there is something fascinating that you see. God says, let there be light, and there was light. But there wasn't sun yet. It's a very fascinating thing to think about. Was Jesus Christ that light? And when God said, let there be light, was that Jesus Christ not created, but Jesus Christ being the one who emanated light even from himself. I don't know. But I will tell you that it is significant that Jesus Christ is said to be the light of the world. Jesus is said to shine in the darkness. He is said to be the light of men or the illumination of men. By nature, in our sin, we are blinded and we are in darkness. We have no hope and we are without God in the world. And we are in desperate need of illumination. We are in desperate need for someone to reveal to us the truth of who we are. For we don't know who we are, who we were meant to be, or even who God was. Have you noticed from the people that you have seen in the world that don't know God, they're always searching and seeking to find out who they are? They're always going, they're trying to do stuff. They're trying to be stuff. They're trying to, all these things, because they're trying to figure out who they are. Because you cannot know who you are if you don't know whose you are. You will never know who you are if you don't know whose you belong to. Because your life doesn't exist in itself. Right? You, you, you didn't create yourself. You didn't ask to be in this world, did you? Who asked to be here? I never asked. I just was here. I don't have any power in myself. I don't know who I am without God telling me who I am, whose I am, that I am his and he is mine. And so we are in desperate need for someone to reveal us that truth. We read here that Jesus shines in the darkness of the world and that the darkness could not overcome it. Now, I want you to know this. This word can be read as something different than that word overcome. The NIV translates this as understood. I would translate it as comprehend. And when I look at verses 10 and 11, which say he was in the world and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own and his own people did not receive him. 
I actually take that to give me that understanding of, 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 of it not being overcome. Of course, listen, it's a truism. The world cannot come overcome Jesus. Very clearly, he's God. But I think what he's saying is the world couldn't comprehend him. The light came into the world. Jesus Christ is sitting there right before John the Baptist. And the only person who knows who he is is John the Baptist, who had the revelation of God to, to tell him that. Everybody else thought he was just a great prophet, that he was going to come and do all this wonderful stuff. But John knew that he was the Lamb of God who would take away the sin of the world. And so this, this, this is the world's and Jesus' own people's response. They don't understand him. They don't comprehend him. They didn't recognize that he was the eternal creator, sustainer. What would you do if the creator and sustainer and revealer of the, the creator of the universe was right here? Like right here, in flesh, what would you do? I, I, I think that everybody would flock to him. But they didn't. Why? Because they couldn't comprehend him. They didn't understand him. And so, they didn't recognize that he was the creator, sustainer, and revealer of God. And of course, they couldn't overcome him. So as a revealer, what or who does Jesus reveal? Let me read verse 18. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. So who did Jesus reveal? His Father. His Father. Jesus expounds or reveals God. You want to know what God is? Who God is? Jesus. Jesus. That's the only way. Jesus. So, Jesus makes God known to us. In other words, through him, we can know God. So up to this point, we have seen that Christ is outside of time. He's eternal. Christ is God. Christ is creator. Christ is sustainer. And finally, Christ reveals God. Jesus is truly and absolutely unique. No one, no one, no one, no one can do this and be this. So do you agree with me? This is uniqueness at its finest. There isn't anyone else like this. Second point is that Jesus is the one who became flesh. Jump, let's jump to 14 and 15. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory. Glory as of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried out, This was he of whom I said, He who comes after me ranks before me, because he was before me. And what we see here is that Jesus became flesh and took up his residence among us. I, I don't know about you, but this story never gets old for me. God put on flesh. It never gets old, brothers and sisters. It never gets old. I'm like a little child every time I hear this. God took on flesh. Who puts himself in a man suit? Not a, not, a, not a maker, not a creator. This is humility. Imagine the humility and the shame of putting on a sinful flesh. Of course, Jesus wasn't a sinner. But he put on flesh that was broken, that corroded, that... Right? All of these things that got sick, he put on flesh like this. That story can't get old for you, brothers and sisters. If that story has gotten old, I'm asking you, 
to look again and see that Jesus Christ took on flesh. He had a reasonable soul and a body like men. And what that means, brothers and sisters, is he didn't just take on flesh, as I said, just like a man suit. He actually took upon a reasonable soul, which is how we say he's both God and man. In other words, Jesus Christ had the same feelings, the same manness, the same humanness as you and I do. It, it, it wasn't just a flesh. It was a soul, a reasonable, true soul. That's important. That's important. And so, in other words, the eternal God, Jesus Christ, added humanity to his nature. In order to make us God's children, he took on flesh, lived and died, bearing God's eternal wrath so God's justice could be satisfied. Jesus left his proper home with his father and came to a home away from home to bring us home. Jesus left his home to come to a home away from home so he could bring you and I home. That's the story of the gospel. You and I are brought home. Jesus says, come home. Come home. Just like God dwelt with his people in the Shekinah glory during Israel's time in the wilderness, Jesus came to dwell with his people in first century AD, but this time he did not dwell in a cloud and fire. He dwelled in this, this flesh. A body like yours, a body like mine. Because he wanted to understand and know what it was like and to, and to, and to do and fulfill and be the true Adam who would obey God no matter what. And this is no small thing. The God of the universe decided to become one of us by taking upon himself that true body and a reasonable soul. Jesus was not a ghost and he was not just flesh. He was also had a human soul. And this is why it says that he is both God and man in one person. This is why our confession says, and two distinct natures. One person, two distinct natures. One of those natures was God, and the other nature was man. And that other nature and this is what all this is what all the fighting was about in the early church with the Athanasian Creed and the Apostles' Creed and all of these things. All of the fighting about who Jesus is. He is very God of very God, very man of very man. He's begotten, not made, of one substance with the Father. And then it goes on and the creeds go on and speak of the fact that Jesus Christ is truly flesh truly has a true human soul. And this is super significant because what one of the great fathers, church fathers said was, what Jesus did not assume, he could not redeem. If Jesus did not take a true human soul, he could not redeem a true human soul. And that is what we understand. And so, he became a human being by taking upon our nature. But he didn't somehow lose his godhood. He was born of Mary by the Holy Spirit. He is both fully God and fully man. Jesus came and took up temporary residence to accomplish our redemption. And we are told here that John and the apostles beheld the glory of God in the person of Christ, the incarnate word. How? 
Well, the first, you might remember, would be the Mount of Transfiguration. You remember that? Where they go up, Peter, James, and John go up to the mountain, and Jesus reveals himself in his glory, and it's so bright like light. Huh, Jesus, light of the world. Maybe that has something to do with that. Right? And then Moses and Elijah are there as well. And what ends up happening is, is that Jesus Christ is there, and the Father said, says, this is my son in whom I'm well pleased. Okay, but is that the glory of the person of Christ? Yes, but you know what? I don't think that this unveiling with Moses and Elijah and the disciples was the biggest glory. In there, in that time, it says that Luke, Luke says that Jesus spoke with Moses and Elijah about his exodus. Literally what it says, his exodus. What is the exodus? Was he just talking about like go into Jerusalem? Like he's just going to sit there with Moses and Elijah and be like, hey, I'm going to have a nice trip to Jerusalem. Everything's going to be good. And, you know, no, he was talking about the freeing of God's people from their sin by his death on the cross with Moses and Elijah saying to those two, hey, guys, everything you prophesied about, everything you look forward to me, I'm doing it. I'm just about to head there. And so what is the glory of God? It is not just that thing. It is Jesus Christ on the cross and in his resurrection. Christ's glory is most beautifully and powerfully and most fully shown through the cross and resurrection. And this is where the fullness of Christ's glory comes. And why would I say this? Because Exodus 33 to 34 shows us that God's glory is most clearly displayed in his steadfast love, grace, and faithfulness. Remember what we read? The Lord, the Lord, merciful and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love, forgiving transgressions, iniquity, and sin, right? Pardoning those things. And so the cross and resurrection show God fulfilling his promises to redeem a people. But I want us to take a little closer look at the phrase, we saw his glory, glory as of the only Father. This is where we see Jesus as the one and only. The word in the Greek, monogonase, is is a word that means one and only. It's It's a compound word. It means one of a kind. Jesus is the one and only. The one of a kind. And so... Basically, what I, what I want you to see here is he's the one and only from the Father. And what does this mean? It simply means that he is the only or unique son of the Father. The reality is we are adopted and are brought into Christ and made, we are true children of God, true sons and daughters of God, but there is only one natural son of God, and that is Jesus Christ. He is the one and only son. He is the unique one. But what does this mean? It basically means that there is only one natural Son of God. Jesus, who was eternally begotten of the Father, who wasn't created but always existed, is the one and only Son. No one else is a child of God unless they are united to Him. When you put your faith and trust in Jesus Christ, when you put your trust, when you lean and all of yourself on Jesus Christ, you become a child of God. A true child of God. And we're going to get into that later in this series. But what happens is that true childness of God 
only is in your union with Christ, the true one and only Son. No one else can be a child unless they're united to Christ because he's the only one who gives us the power to become children of God by our adoption and union with him. So the third point here is this, that Jesus is the one who gives grace. And so John tells us that Jesus is full of grace and truth. In other words, he possesses the qualities of grace and truth fully and completely. The word grace is, is, is this idea of, of favor, God's divine favor. And so we can think of this as the loving kindness of God that we don't deserve. Jesus brings God's undeserved favor to us. The word truth here can be thought of as faithfulness. So what do you have? You have God's unmerited favor and God's faithfulness. You see, Jesus brings God's undeserved favor to us, and Jesus is the faithful one who always keeps his promises, the one who fulfills his promises. God promised to send the serpent crusher, and here he is breaking onto the scene. God promised to bless all the nations through the seed of Abraham, and here is the seed of Abraham, the serpent crusher, the promise keeper, the grace bringer. The words grace and truth are seen actually in another place in the Bible. We read it today. Exodus 34, 6. Moses asked to see God. And do you know what happened? God put Moses in the cleft of a rock. And he said, you can look at my back, but if you see my face, you'll die. And so Moses is in the cleft of a rock, and God comes by, and he looks, and he sees the back of God the effulgence, the brightness, the light of God. And God proclaims that phrase, the Lord, Yahweh, Yahweh, merciful, gracious, slow to anger, abounding in steadfast love. But I have a question for you here. Did Moses see the Father or did he see Jesus? No one, it says, has seen God, the only God. It is Jesus who made him known. This is done after Moses. What we read here is that, you know, who Jesus, you know who Moses saw? Jesus. Moses saw Jesus in his eternal glory. But Jesus' glory was so amazing that he could only see the back of Jesus because he would die. Jesus is God. And that is who Moses saw, Jesus Christ. He could not see the Father. You cannot see the Father except through the Son. You will die. And the only reason that Moses didn't die when he saw the back of Jesus was because he put his hand, Jesus put his hand over it, it said. In other words, he was putting, shielding Moses from the raw reality of the beauty and holiness of God that would kill him and destroy him as a sinful man. And Jesus himself, the one who would have nails in his hands, Jesus himself passed by and showed himself to and I think that's what John is bringing up. He's bringing up this story and letting you know. Because when he passed by, he says the covenant love of God and the faithfulness of God. And that's what Jesus is full of. Faithfulness. Truth. And he's full of loving kindness, of mercy, of favor towards us. I don't know about you, but... When I hear that story, when I read that story, I think of the inexhaustible grace of God being poured out upon me by Jesus Christ. Just a river 
of grace, a river of mercy dumped over me, washing me, cleaning me, cleansing me. That's what Jesus does by his person and work. It says, the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. And more than likely, the word law here refers to the first five books of the Bible and the whole system of Judaism that was given through Moses. Here, the grace of the law given through Moses is compared with the grace that comes through Christ. The law is being contrasted with grace and truth. Moses is contrasted with, contrasted with Christ, and the law that was given is contrasted with Christ's coming. Both passage, both this passage and Exodus 34 Six, speak of God's character showing grace and truth, but in Jesus, God's character is revealed in a human being. The whole point is that God has now revealed himself to us by his son. Jesus is the agent by which you and I get God's grace and faithfulness. The one and only. Finally, and I'll wrap this up quickly, with a fourth point, Jesus is the one who makes the Father known. Instead of saying Jesus, who is at the Father's side, he has made him known, this text literally reads, the one and only God, the one who is in the Father's bosom, that one has made him known. I did a lot of work in the original language on this. And that's essentially what it says. The one and only God, the one who is in the Father's bosom, that one has made him known. Why? Because John reminds us of John 1, 1 1-2. Jesus is the unique or only God. The implication is that Jesus is God and he is related to him in the closest possible way. And that word bosom, do you know what that means? That word bosom... It's like, is the same kind of idea as of the Lord's Supper. Do you remember what John did with Jesus at the Lord's Supper? How he leaned up against his bosom? And John says that he was the one that Jesus loved. Like he saw himself as this special recipient of Jesus' love. The reality is, is, is that the Father is that, or the Son is that with the Father. That close, that intimate of a relationship. And that's how you and I, in Christ, get that relationship. It's not that anyone has seen the Father except he was from God. He has seen the Father. You see, it is Christ alone who knows and has seen the Father. He is the unique one. He is the only Son and the only God. He is the only one who truly knows the Father. And he is the only one who can make the Father known to you. Jesus Christ is the only way that you can come to know the Father. Jesus said, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one can come to the Father except through me in John 14. This is the reality of the unique one, Jesus Christ. So what's the conclusion of all this? Today we've seen that Jesus is the eternal God, the creator, the sustainer of all. He's the revealer. He's the one who took on flesh, allowing himself to be seen He's the one and only Son of God. He's the one filled with grace and faithfulness. He's the one who heaps grace upon us. He makes the Father known to us. Jesus truly is one of a kind. There's none other, brothers and sisters. There is no other name by which anyone can be saved but Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. So what does it mean? How does it affect us in conclusion? Well, if Jesus is our eternal God, and sustains all the world and our lives, and the one who gives us our next breath, breath, then what that means is that we need to be committed to following him and obeying him no matter what. You don't 
get an option to pick and choose what commands of God you obey. God has laid it down. He is the author and he is the creator. What he says goes. But he took on flesh for us. He suffered. He added human nature. He subjected himself to this. And so God did this through Christ so that we might be found in him, not having our own righteousness, but his. So what could be better than that? The world, its entrapments, its desires, its lust, they offer nothing to us that Christ does not give us. This world will never give you anything that Christ does not give you. And so, are we caught in a sin that is impossible to stop? Do you feel that you can't get out of a sin that you're in? Let Christ be greater. Let Christ be more lovely than that sin. Hate your sin and let it go, not because you're earning your way to God, but because he's the loveliest of all. Let go of your sin because Jesus is greater. Jesus is better. And so third, Jesus gives us heaps of grace. He, he, he is the one-of-a-kind, unique son, and he is not out to get you. Do you know that? You ever, you ever had those thoughts that somehow God's out to get you? No, he's not. He sent his only son for you. If he sent his only son for you, he's, don't wait for the other shoe to drop because that's not how God works. That's not how God works. If he, he is the one who gives heaps grace upon grace. And finally, Jesus has made the Father known to you. He who was at the Father's side was dearly beloved, has brought us into this intimate relationship where you can cry, Abba, or dearest Father. This is the reality of what Jesus has done. He has given us direct and bold access into the presence of our loving and gracious Father. So what reason do we have not to bring our joy, our burdens and our sorrows, not to bring our successes and joys directly to, in thanksgiving and sorrow, directly to God the Father in prayer? And you're going to see that this is our next song. What a friend we have in Jesus. Because that, the unique one, is not only your God, but he is your friend. Let me pray. Father, thanks for allowing us to worship Jesus Christ, your son. Thank you for giving us and pouring out your Holy Spirit. I pray that this vision of Christ would consume these people here, myself and all of us in this room, that Christ would be the greater. I pray that you would move mightily in the hearts and minds and lives of your people. All for your sake, in Jesus' name.